You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. All right, well, welcome to the live stateside podcast at NAM. We're here with Derek with Vanguard Audio. And yeah, super excited to get into it, talk about what's new, what's old, and what got you there. What's old is me. Look at this beard. <laughs> Older, at least. Yeah, thank you for having me. Of course. Really excited. Yeah. I'm, I'm super stoked to do this and see you again tomorrow for two of our guys, Ryan and Jay, to do an appearance at the booth here. And hell yeah. So. Tell me a little bit about your story, the elevator pitch, you know, oh, where, man. where you started, how you ended up. I know you are an engineer. Like, how did that mm-hmm. turn into building mics? I'll try and keep it an elevator pitch, but I am I am nothing if not long-winded. So <laughs> just, you know, hit me on the head with a hammer when I go too long. Okay. Um, so like most people, I got into music because I love music, right? So yep. I, I uh, in, in high school, I... I, my buddies were playing guitar. They needed a bassist for their band, as it were. I was like a freshman or whatever. So I started learning to play bass. And instead of like actually practicing like most people do with an instrument, I was practicing a little bit. But I was mostly like, man, my, my guitar friends had these really cool pedals that make their guitars sound weird. And they weren't really making bass pedals back then. <clears throat> Excuse me. It's been a long show. Um, but um, they weren't making bass pedals back then, so I started learning how to modify guitar pedals to work with bass frequencies. Like a phaser that worked within bass frequencies, like, you know, and stuff like that. And I, I got, you know, that's how I started nerding out on the electronic side, because I've always been a geek about that. And then I started learning how to design my own pedals. And I, I went to college as a music major. I was like, I love music, I want to do music. And then I got there and realized everybody else is better at this, like, instrument thing and i tried woodshedding for like a week and i was like no nah, i'm not doing this this is this is dumb so i realized you know those guys on the on the liner notes of the cds that i would buy those the bassist got the same amount of credit as the audio engineer and all that guy did was push faders and at the same time i took like an audio 101 class i was like this rules i i want to start learning this so i started producing friends records and i you know a lot of artists are are, are incredible, visionary, creative, but you ask them to balance a checkbook with their gun to their head and they're gonna die. So I became kind of the organizer and, and helped book gigs, helped run shows and stuff like that, and was also producing their songs because these were all singer-songwriters that hadn't been in the studio. And so I was producing and engineering and at the same time I was fixing their gear. Um, time came for an internship and I didn't want to scrub toilets and get coffee as a studio gopher. So one of my favorite mic companies at the time was Avon Electronics. And I just called him up and said, I need to do an internship. You get 160 hours of free labor, and I get to learn more about microphones. And at the end of the internship, they said, we like you. My junior year, they said, we like you. We're going to pay you to do this instead. I said, that does sound better. And eventually, I was like their, you know, I, I don't really have a title, but operations manager. I, was, I, was, I had a number of hats on. And then... Um, yeah, Ken taught me a lot about microphones, and then the, the defecation hit the oscillation, so to speak, at that particular company. And so we started a new one. We started Vanguard, and um, we had, Ken had some ideas that he wanted to realize, and it just, I got more and more geeky about the engineering and the, the tools, because essentially what I ended up doing is I'm making paintbrushes for Bob Ross, right? I'm making paintbrushes for artists. You guys do the cool work, but my job is to make a paintbrush that makes it easier and better for you to do your craft. 
And so I make I make cool paintbrushes, I guess. We try and be original. We're not trying to do the next cheapest, you know, U47 or whatever. We're trying to make stuff that is original and sounds good and sounds like we want a record to sound if we were in the studio making it. That makes your job easier. Or in, in you know, Jay's or Ryan's job easier. That's astonishingly similar to my story. Uh, tell me about yours. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm I, uh... interviewing you now. Hello, David. <laughs> Welcome to NPR. I'm Ira Glass. Tell me all about stateside management. Uh, your voice wasn't nearly nasally enough for the Ira Glass. I'm Ira Glass. <laughs> but, it, um, yeah, so I started as a bassist. Ah! Uh, yeah. The collective. Oh, um, yeah. And um, I was in a prog metal band. Every time the guy who wrote our music wrote a new song, I had to become a better bassist to be able to play it. Eventually, I said, Luke, I'm not good enough for me in this band anymore. <laughs> Let me just, like, do all the businessy stuff for you. Okay. And started doing that and then i guess i was the manager of that band that had uh -huh. absolutely no business having a manager but i did it and um then we ended up yeah i ended up getting an internship at a management company stayed there for a couple of years they offered me a job and have now done a couple things in between but now i'm at stateside man isn't it weird how we just fall ass backwards into things sometimes that we for end real. up really liking yeah you know it's 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 happenstance, but it's it's you know, it's great. Yeah. I mean, it's just you know being aware of your strengths. Yeah. And and this this company has definitely shown me some of my weaknesses. You know, I'm not I'm not much of an accountant. I can tell you that. But I make I make damn good mics. That's that's hell what yeah. I do. I enjoy that part. So I agree. yeah. Um, hell yeah. So tell us about some of the mics. Like, what was the one that got Vanguard started? Yeah. So that's actually this one. I'll just grab it and pull it over to the camera. And be Vanna White real quick. Da -da 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 -da. Or wait, that price is right. I don't know. Mixing metaphors. Whatever. Same genre. Um, so this is a V13. We wanted to build a good tube mic. We said, you know what? There's a lot of tube mics on the market. But uh, Ken was really successful at Avantone by, by, with the CV12. It was the first, I think, really consistent tube mic that came out of Chinese manufacturing. And he said, we can do way better than that now because technology has advanced 15 years and manufacturing has advanced 15 years. It's much more accessible. So we started by voicing our own capsule and saying, this is how we want our capsule to sound. The capsule is like, it's like the cut of meat and the steak. Apologies to all the vegans out there. But um, it's like, you know, if you don't start with a good cut of meat, it doesn't matter what you season it with. The steak's not going to be very good. So we spent a long time voicing the capsule. We put it in like this open air type head basket. Because as it turns out, this is a resonant chamber when there's like three layers of mesh on there. Oh, wow. And that's what a pop filter is for to help stop that wind, right? Sure. So there's three layers of mesh on a lot of microphones, and that creates a resonance around sibilance area. So if you get a spitty capsule that resonates in a spitty area, that's why those S's can take your head off in certain microphones. So we do this open-air capsule. We use a tube that's never been used in a microphone before commercially. And we just said, let's make a really, really good mic. And we spent three years kind of laying the groundwork for a good mic, and that meant rethinking everything. That meant, you know, look at the, our shock mount has been copied by like four or five other companies now, which means we know that it's good. Um, spider shock mounts are the dumbest 70-year-old technology out there. They're the horse and buggy of shock mounts because you can't mic anything up close. I've had singers ruin takes with those two little, you know, they're working the mic close and that little leg hits their chin and you get the thump on the recording, takes gone for that, for that particular section. Um, and then the same stuff that holds up your underwear is holding up your investment of a microphone. If one of those little hair scrunchies breaks on a spider shock mount, 
the whole mic comes down. So we use six jet engine O-rings. The same guy that provides these to Boeing provides them to us. And we put a UV additive in them so that they don't crack with, you know, light and stuff over time. So they're incredibly, they maintain their shape. They maintain, you know, I can hold this vertically here. And you notice the mic is not sagging, you know, but you've still got a shock mount. So making things easier and better for the artist is where we start. And the best compliment I get on this microphone is people do vocal takes and they say, I barely had to EQ anything. I rolled off the top. I put like a one dB shelf up or down, or I rolled off the bottom. I put a one dB shelf up or down on the top and then I compressed it and I was done. I didn't even have to DS. And I'm like, that's exactly, that's exactly the feedback I want to hear. So it's a nine pattern tube mic and this got us started. Um, there's a ton of, you know, I don't want to name drop. There's a ton of incredible artists and incredible engineers using it. And you can see it on our website, vanguardaudiolabs.com. There you go. There's the plug. Um, yeah, but, uh, so we'll keep, keep that here for a second. Yeah, sure. Um, so the first thing as someone who, you know, I'm not, there's a reason I manage producers and I'm not a producer. Okay. I, I'm not, I, the whole technical side of things is not really my world. Okay. But the first thing I notice about this mic is just like how beautiful yeah and i'm sure that that helps when like with maybe like a nervous vocalist like just mm -hmm. singing into something that is attractive and not just you know another big black machine yeah um, or dull nickel don't forget about the dull nickel yeah. yeah yeah um so i feel like that that definitely could like inspire some confidence so i'm curious did you do like the actual like the visual design of the mic yes. as well yes so, and we really put a lot of thought into it. So me and Ken both like classic cars from like the fifties. We like that, totally. that minimalist sleek thing. And I really like art deco. And, and, and so it's like this minimalist art deco meets classic car aviation type vibe. Um, and we spend so much time making our studios look beautiful, not just for Instagram, although that's part of the reason, right? But we also do it because you want a space that's conducive to creativity. And to me, I want the tool to be conducive to creativity as well, not just sonically, but visually. And it's exactly that. You give an artist confidence when they're in front of a beautiful looking mic, and it and hopefully it makes your space more conducive to creativity. Also, I just think that, you know, mics have looked boring for a long time, and, and you can have something be beautiful and functional, like the Dieter Rom school of, of, of visual and, and product design. So, I, you know, I'm, I'm no Dieter Roms, but I definitely wanted to make something that looked really nice that I could look at and say I'm proud of this. And from a marketing perspective, if somebody's scrolling through the hundreds of mics on Sweetwater or Vintage King or wherever, they can scroll through and they know that's a Vanguard the moment they see it. That color, the badge, it's very distinctive because yeah. there's a million mics out there that are black or, or boring, like non-shiny nickel. And I just said, let's make something, let's make something that people know that's Vanguard. That's a Vanguard microphone. Yeah. And that's what we did. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I definitely see the classic car inspiration yeah. there. Like like this the chrome top looks like a Bel Air. Yeah, we were thinking just... about like all those little chromed like accoutrements and those little fine details on like a, a Porsche or a Corvette. Um especially from that era of the Bel Airs where they had all those useless chrome fins and stuff. It just <laughs> yeah. they just looked so beautiful. And we yeah. wanted to have that vibe for our microphones. So yeah. yeah. Sweet. So how long was this in production on, before, like from development? Yeah, development. Yeah, somewhere. about three years. Uh, three so we years. started okay. the company in 2013. This came out mid 2016. Okay. Yeah. Awesome. It takes a long time to do it right. We, we totally. tested every, pretty much every component. We're testing 20 different options to get 
the sound all the way through to be just so. Absolutely. Sweet. So what does the, the manufacturing look like? What's, how big is your team? My team's pretty small, actually. So because I didn't want to have to learn how to spin CNC bodies and sure. create molds and do all that, and I don't have the capital to spend a quarter of a million dollars getting a full manufacturing thing up and running. We do what's called contract manufacturing. So everything's an original design, but I send different drawings and specs out to different companies that specialize in metalwork or in printed circuit board assembly or making the cables. Soldering cables is a bummer and it's boring and you get hand cramps, trust me. Yeah. So, you know, and then we collect it all here and then we do final assembly of the mic in California with 100% quality control. You get this little card signed by the person that built the mic with the check marks on the different things that's that we awesome. do. And um, it has a serial number on there and it's got a five-year warranty. So that's how we're able to keep them relatively affordable. They used to be more affordable pre-pandemic when brass didn't go up 300% and all that stuff. But um, we try and keep it as accessible as possible for as many musicians as possible. I was a college music major. I was already in enough debt because I was doing college in America, you know? So. Yeah. Um, I wanted to make mics that the that that college me could have afforded. Yep. That you didn't have to beat to death with a stick in the mix with a plug-in chain as long as my arm to get to sound like anything. Because that was my choices back then. I could get a Neumann U87 and sell a kidney, or extend my student loans by another infinity, um, or I could get a MXL. $200 mic and just have to beat the cuss out of it in the mix. And I didn't want to do that. So we, we spent a long time trying to make it as affordable and figure out where we you could just put in 25 cents to make it 1% better, right. as opposed to 10 bucks to make it 1% better. So we didn't want to cut major corners. Um, and we wanted to figure out where we could add value to the microphone and to the end user to make it easier for them to record. Yeah. So what I'm hearing is everything that comes out of this brain into these products is highly intentional and well thought out. Yes, <laughs> occasionally I make boo-boos, like on my new prototype, uh, when I was soldering together the, uh, the circuit board last week frantically to get it ready for NAM, I realized that I had biffed a couple of the pin placements, so a couple of the things inside are a little wonky and that's why it's a prototype, but you right. know, yep. iterative design's a thing, like the beat, we have Gen 2s of all our original stuff now. Um, and I apologize to the audience that they can hear the Atmos demo going on to my right. This is Nam. <laughs> yeah, 85 to 90 decibel noise floor is the norm out here. Um, but that's why you've got the shotgun mic. So, um, but yeah, I, we do iterative design. So anything that I can improve on the next production run, I'll make little tiny adjustments. And, and they're not sonic adjustments. They're never, they're mechanical adjustments almost exclusively. I'm like, well, the cable goes in a little tight or maybe the tolerance is off on this part, so the twisting mechanism on my stereo mic isn't as, it doesn't feel as, as good as I want. So we make tiny, tiny adjustments there. Or like, I'd like to give a little more headroom on the transformer on the power supply, so that people with uh, power supplies that fluctuate a little bit, especially in developing countries, can use that mic without getting any tube heater humps. So we, right. we built in some more tolerance for low and high voltages on the power supply on our second generation. But every production run, I change, I've, I've got a running list of like, man, it makes it easier for me to build the mics when I X or Y. Right. So, um, yeah, every production run, we're continuous improvement. Like an engineer, every project, you've learned something new. Yeah. yeah, and I mean, that's, I think there's a big difference between companies, you know, the, the big box companies a lot of the time, mm -hmm. whether it's audio or any industry, that, you know, when they're making changes to their future models, they're just thinking about the bottom line. Yeah. And and you who is like, 
let's make this a better experience yeah. for everyone. A lot of the times I do it much to the chagrin of, of, of my business partner to the detriment <laughs> of the bottom line. So yeah, that's like, what if we paid a dollar more for this? Right. And you know, you multiply that by a thousand or whatever and it, and it adds up. But I, I'm like, I want this to be the best thing it can be. I know it can be better and I can't be satisfied with myself until I make it better and give it more value to the person who's using it. And that's the stuff that's going to keep people coming back. Yeah. And, you know, keep people happy if you're selling the same, like, you know, some people want those vintage mics from, from the 50s and 60s, but yeah, this isn't a vintage mic company. This is a no. modern mic company and, that's... And truth be told on the vintage mic thing, miniature rant, I will say this, like vintage mics are great. And what they did with the technology at the time was amazing. Sure. But if they were, if, if George Neumann or whoever was starting to design a mic today, yeah. it would be a completely different mic. And it would be much better than those vintage mics because we have CNC machining with insane tolerances. Because we can get a 1% metal film resistor uh, for a fraction of a penny. 10% resistors back then were like the highest tolerance you could get. So what they, the, the, the handcuffs they had on when they were designing those mics, it's amazing that they still sound as good as they do. But, you know, they're fragile, the components are old, they break a lot. That's why big studios have dedicated maintenance teams. Right. Um, and we try and make our stuff, you know, much more bulletproof than that. And if I couldn't design a mic that was better than those mics, I, I would kind of be ashamed of myself because I have so many more tools at my disposal than they did totally. 70 yeah. years ago. Not to mention know? the internet. <laughs> also, you know, YouTube is, is great. Yeah. yeah. I've learned a lot of things in designing circuits when I'm like, why isn't this working? And then I go down the Google rabbit hole and I go, that's why. That's awesome. yeah. yeah. So you mentioned a prototype. Um, do you want to talk about it? Yeah, I do. I'm going to plug in a completely different company that's just two down the road. Triad Orbit has, is reinventing the microphone stand. Speaking of making things easier, they have ball mounts. Like, this is a ball mount. This, this you know, this can turn every which way. Placement's a breeze with this thing. And this coupler here is like a drill chuck coupler. It's genius. Triad Orbit. Check them out. They're expensive, but they are worth it because if you've ever been frustrated with your overhead sagging halfway through the session, Triad Orbit's going to take care of you. So Triad Orbit, Triad Orbit mic stands um, are incredible. Right. And they lent us that one for the show because we're out of space in our tiny booth. Um, so this is our prototype. So speaking of vintage microphones, um, the market value of those vintage microphones is absurd. Yeah. So the C24 is uh, AKG's stereo microphone of yore. And it's, if you find one in good condition, you can expect to pay about $40,000 for And uh, I've been wanting to do a stereo tube mic for a couple of years, but the problem is the connector, I needed, I needed nine pins on a connector to make it work. And you can't get an XLR connector that has nine pins. And I didn't want to retool to make like 20 of these for a big expensive Tuchel connector or something like that. Those old screw-on connectors on old vintage mics. So then Neutrik a few months ago announced this 8 plus 2 format, which has 10 pins. And I said, I know what I'm doing with this. I know exactly. And I started designing the, the V24. So, you know, it's named the V24, like the C24. And I joke about clones all the time. And, and my distaste for uh, retreading old designs when we should be progressing. But this is not a C24 clone. This is progress on a C24. The C24 had an enormous amount of crosstalk because they couldn't fit the components in to uh, prevent the capsules from talking with each other across the power path. So they were about minus 20, minus 25 dB crosstalk on a C24. We fixed that. Um, also, the rotation mechanism broke constantly. It was very fragile. These can take a hit. Uh, one of these fell 10 feet during an Andy Grammer show, one of the, uh, the uh, not this one specifically, but the, the, our other stereo mic, the, the solid state one, fell 10 feet in an Andy Grammer show. 
and came out fine. Uh, because we built this like a rock with stainless steel and ball bearings and all that stuff. And they're, they're an absolute pain in the keister to build, but we love doing them because this... Just turn that. Yeah, it's I like butter. Gonna, I was just about to ask too. Oh, yeah, that's so satisfying. Too. Isn't it right? It it's really one of those good. things. Yeah. yeah. And then the C24 also had a, a circuit high-end roll-off to sound more like a 251. Sure. So we actually made that switchable. So you can do a high-end roll-off or keep it flat for both both capsules. So for mid-side recording, if you want to do mid-side and have darker sides like a ribbon, you could flip that on and have your darker sides, right? Um, and then... The, uh, because I got the 10 pins now, each, each capsule is independently variable on patterns. So you can do blum line, you can do X, X, Y, you can do mid side, and you can do narrower, wider versions of all those things with the power supply that's over there. It has two knobs, like this one over here. I'll just grab this one because it's closer and I don't have to walk away with interme intermission music again. Can you hold this for me? Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. I only have two hands, as it turns yeah, out. Yeah. And I'm on a, and I'm on a twisty chair. So it has two knobs like this that, okay. that change the polar pattern for you. So you can go from Omni, intermediate, you're, you're now narrowing the pattern, narrowing the pattern more towards cardioid straight ahead, and now you're narrowing it even more towards hypercardioid, and now you're a figure eight. So you have all these in-between settings, and those actually, I think a lot of producers and engineers need to understand this. This isn't just changing the way the mic picks up in the area around it, it actually changes the voicing. If you go look at, at any frequency chart of a, mic, of a microphone, you go look at figure eight versus cardioid versus hypercar or versus uh, omni the frequency response is different you get a more natural open high end and omni okay and it's a much more natural sound which is why al schmidt recorded so much stuff in omni when he was able to if he could use an omni mic al schmidt was using an omni mic right and then you focus and you get more mid-range like punch and, and like upper mid presence on like a hypercardioid setting so actually on vocalists i always start the v13 always always at wide cardioid and then I gently move it over to figure out what works best for that vocalist. Because you have, I'm not going to say you have nine mics, you don't, but you have nine options on that mic to make that vocalist sound better right to tape. So you have to do less work in the mix. Once again, make the job easier for the engineer. But that requires you to make your job easier on yourself too. So use the polar patterns and get the sound right before you do anything. No EQ, no compression, nothing. You should get it to sound as close to record ready as possible. Yeah. And are those power supplies? Yeah. Obviously, they're intended to use with Vanguard mics. Now I'm holding two things. Yeah, okay. <laughs> um, but obviously, they're intended to use with Vanguard mics. Uh -huh. Are is there use for them with outside mics? As there well? is, but you have to be really careful because you're sending tube power. You're sending like 150 volts down this, okay. and if the ground pin's in the wrong place, because different companies use different ground standards, even though AES has a standard, vintage mics did not. And um, so, if they're using a different pin for ground you can electrocute yourself. So we don't encourage that unless you are 100% certain that you know that the pinout is exactly the same. So this would work like an Avantone mic. I'm pretty sure it would work with some of the Telefunken mics. It would not work with a Rode mic. The Rode mics use a different ground pin, and it would, um, it would not be good. Not only would you fry the circuit, you have a chance to fry yourself too. So I don't recommend it. Got it, okay. Yeah. Sweet. I'll put this down. I can hold that for you if you want, if your arms are getting tired, yeah. It is, uh, it is it's got some weight to it. I don't know how yeah. much of that is the is the mount and how much is the mic. But oh, it it's very sturdy. much the microphone. This is stainless steel that we've polished. Yeah. All that stainless steel and then laser markings on the outside and our, our shiny fancy badge. But this is our first like high end. We're doing like a higher end line. Okay. So we're using Australian Bees Knees. This is the name of the company, Ben Sneesby of Bees Knees. I can say that all day. <laughs> um, but he uh, made these capsules for us. These are CK12 recreations and they are um, 
They are incredibly expensive, but they're a recreation of, in my opinion, the most brilliant microphone capsule ever designed. And they're a classic recreation of it, but they're very complicated because it was designed by a German guy. So of course it's complicated, right? Yeah. So um, in any case, uh, yeah, they're expensive capsules. This is going to be about an $8,000 microphone. Oh, wow. But yeah, it is, uh, like I said, a, uh, a C24. To get a C24 is about 40 grand if you find a nice yeah. one. And this one's not going to break every three months. So. Yep. Yeah. 20%. That's a pretty, pretty big difference. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Absolutely. So I'd love to hear your to shift gears away from sort of the super technical gear talk. Yeah, I, I'm sorry, I bored all of you. Can, are we gonna well, talk about I mean, capacitor dielectrics? <laughs> if I knew what that meant, I would make a joke <laughs> about that. Um, but, um, you know, and our, our audience is going to be yeah. into that stuff. Okay, um, good. Absolutely. Um, but I'm curious to hear a little bit about like your musical background and whether that's, you know, the music that you are really into and inspired by, or the producers and engineers that like really drive your passion? Yeah, I, you know, it's interesting because you say that and, and, and microphones, they hear differently than our ears, right? Sure. That's why we use microphones. We could all yeah. use those Neumann, like I, I don't, they call them Fritz microphones. The ones that look like heads that have like all the chambering oh, yeah, of a yeah. human, human head, the sinuses and everything in it. They're supposed to hear exactly like a person, you know, we could just use those if we wanted to hear our microphone, but we don't, our microphones hear things differently. and. Every single microphone is is is, is uh, subjective, I guess. You know, there's the objective parts of it, like you know, noise floor and stuff like that. But then there's some subjective parts of we want it to sound like we want it to sound like how the engineer thinks music should sound, or how the designer thinks music should sound, comes across into our product the same way that an engineer or producer that they're imprinting, they're putting their fingerprint on that song. And we're putting our fingerprint in a way on their song too, because that's how we think a mic should sound. So I just mentioned Al Schmidt and Steve Genowick. I think they're brilliant engineers. And Al has done some of my favorite recordings. Um, Nora Jones's Come Away With Me record is like my reference okay. for when I'm listening to anything. Um, the, the musicians on that record were just these old studio cats that knew when not to play. And that was like my introduction to when not to play, right? As a you know, younger musician, you want to play things faster and better and add more fills and do more interesting things. And then you forget that silence is a note. Oh, yeah. Right? Coming from, like I said, rock metal band. I, yeah. I know all about uh, <laughs> squeezing as many notes in yeah. as possible. But silence is also a note. You yeah, know, a rest, a rest is, is part of musical notation. Totally. And so um, that sort of open space and natural sound and, and nothing's really hyped. But it's also still flattering to the ear. You know, you don't want you don't want a microphone to sound like vanilla cake with mayonnaise frosting, right? Just like your record, yeah. just really boring and flat. You want it to have interest, but you don't want it to be, you don't want it to be so tilted towards the bass that like people's chests are exploding, or right. so tinny and high frequency that like it's causing listening fatigue three songs into the record. Yeah. So we, I took the same approach to microphones. So Al Schmidt, um, Tom Petty's a big influence for Kin. Um, I'm a big singer-songwriter guy, okay. um, like acoustic singer-songwriter. So I'm a huge fan of guys like Donovan Woods and Mike Adele yeah. and John Brazell. Some, 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 and uh, yeah, I, I'm really a fan of that kind of stuff. So that comes into my music. The acoustic instruments really speak a lot to me more than the electronic instruments. And obviously, um, you know, I can't mic a keyboard, so my products are kind of useless for a synth or a, a virtual instrument. So, sure. you know. Um, 
I lean towards the acoustic guitar and towards the cello and towards the clarinet and things like that, as opposed to uh, uh, an 808 or whatever. But that's just me, you know, and, and that doesn't make any of that other music less valid. It's just a different paintbrush. That's yeah. all it is. But this is the episode about you. So. <laughs> I, I guess, yeah. So I'm right and you're wrong. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Um, speaking of uh, acoustic singer, songwriter, and people, are you familiar with Katie Pruitt? I am not. Katie you Pruitt? Check her out. Yeah. Katie okay, Pruitt. I will check out Katie Pruitt. She actually Pruitt. was the last episode of the podcast that we did. Um, okay. Not here, but you know, the last okay. like traditional episode. <laughs> and she is unbelievable. Uh, if you like Donovan Woods, you'll, you'll love her. Okay. Yeah. Uh, have you heard of Gabby Moreno? I'll trade you another one. Oh. She's one of our artists that uses our V13. That's why I heard of her. She's a trilingual artist. Um, oh, I, I don't want to say where she grew up because I know I'll get it wrong. Sure. Um, but she is Guatemala. Was Guatemala? Okay, thank you. Um, but she's extraordinary. And she does okay. these bilingual records, some in Spanish and some in, some in English. And her songwriting is extraordinary. And the, there's this Americana vibe mixed with, like, you know, wapongos and stuff like that. And so she's just... She's really, really interesting. And the other one uh, for me, and he's getting bigger and bigger, but one of my employees introduced me to Cody Fry a couple of years ago. Name rings a bell. So he does symphonic stuff, and he blends that with pop sensibilities, and also a tremendous top songwriter. So, so two of my top ten albums are Cody Fry's records he's released in like the last five years. Pictures of Mountains and Flying are just... And, and his concerts, you know, he's a full symphony with him, along with a band and backing tracks. It's like... That's yeah, it's he's Cody Fry is incredible. I cannot stress that one enough. So, but Katie Pruitt, yeah, Katie Pruitt, Gavin I gotta Moreno, remember. Cody Fry, got it. Yeah, all right, awesome. Sweet. Now we have new stuff to listen to. Awesome, because, I love that. You know, we are not going to hear enough at them. Uh, no, my ears. <laughs> I I felt like you know after you get out of a loud concert yesterday, every year at Nam, it's like you get out of a loud concert and somebody's got hands over your, oh, yeah. over your ears. Totally. That's how I felt yesterday. Your knees and ankles ache. Woo! <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, it's the Nam Circus. Yeah, it's it's the Nam Circus. Yeah, I yeah. guess my voice is already almost gone. It's the beginning of day two, so yeah. at least it's only three days this year. Yeah, that's perfect. Yeah. So, is there anything else that like specific products or you know like sort of the ethos of the company? Actually, yeah, this is my question. Yeah. Um, I'd love to hear the ethos of the company as it relates to artist relations and how you decide to align with specific artists yeah and yeah i'm happy to talk and, about that and you know what aside from the the easy like they worked with someone big and they have a big following on social media what makes like a good fit for vanguard as a person man so um i have a couple a couple really you know a couple rules the first is i have what i call very much a socialist artist policy i i don't I don't have the money to give away mics. I'm a small, as you can see, I'm a small boutique company. I built this booth, the the stand that the, that's on right now. I built all that in my garage in 2017. Yeah, it's a truly, uh, a, thank you, I appreciate that. But it's truly, a, it's, it's truly a boutique one, you know, kind of small operation, right? So because of that, um, I just don't have the marketing budget to throw free mics at influencers and stuff like that. I don't. I, I wish I could. And I think that things have value, like musicians, you know, you don't, play for exposure because people died of exposure on the Oregon Trail. Um, and in the same way, I don't give away mics for exposure because I can't. It's very rare when I give away a mic and it's usually to someone I truly believe in. Yeah. Um, and it's usually not, oh, you're big enough for me to give away a mic. It's, I believe in your music. And that's a, that's a gift from me as opposed to a marketing effort. Um, so that's the first thing. I think the second thing is we have to believe in, in, in your music and your ability. And that doesn't mean that you know it's from a specific genre or the way we want music to sound. 
you know, um, Black from Atlanta, the, the, the hip-hop artist. I think he just released a new record after East Atlanta Love Letter a few years ago. He uses the B-13. I think he's doing interesting new stuff and, and, and kind of making making something different and unique. And that, that appeals to me is to super derivative stuff. Um, and then we have, you know, we have small singer-songwriters. We have big guys, big engineers like Dave Way and, um, and Dale Becker and Ray Kennedy. These guys that are making, you know, Grammy Grammy winning records. And then we have Boris Milan, who's like the king of the Latin Grammys as an engineer, you know. So, um, and then the other thing for me is just, I, I don't want to work with people who are dicks, you know. Like, I think as you get older, you realize that you don't want to put up with people who are hard to work with. So, I just want to work with people who are cool. They pass the, the vibe check, as the youngins say. And, um, and, and they're relaxed and they're easygoing like you. And... They just wanna they want they want to help because they believe in the product, and we want to help because we believe in their music. And I think artist relations is a two-way street. You know, you can't say, okay, we're gonna give you this in exchange for this. That's not how it works. It's we want to help you guys out because we think you're doing a great thing. Yeah. And you know, honestly, from a selfish perspective, we want you to help us out because we're a small company with an almost zero marketing budget. Yeah. And our marketing is, hey, look at this guy, Doja Cat's engineer who's using our microphone because he likes the microphone, he likes the way it sounds, and he believes in it. As, you know, and that means more to an end user than anything I could say. I put 10 years of blood and sweat and tears and heart and soul into this company. I can't not be biased about my microphones. I can't. I, mean, I can't be objective about them. But somebody who's doing it every day for a living, um, when they believe in a microphone, that speaks volumes to people who are looking for their next mic. Especially when they have every mic in the world to choose from. Exactly, and there's a, you know there's a million mics here, and most of them are great. Most of them are, they're different paintbrushes, guys. I can't stress this enough. Like, we talk about gear so much in this industry, and I'm talking from a gear manufacturer. If if people on GearSpace and Real Gear Online and all these Facebook groups spent half as much time pressing record as they did pressing reply, we would have a better music industry because they would be better at their craft. And the honestly, sometimes the best microphone is the one you have because you can make you can't you can't make a mediocre song and a mediocre performance better with a good microphone but i don't think you can ruin a great song and a great performance with mediocre engineering i think you can make that better i think you can elevate it but it is truly difficult to wreck it unless you're clipping something crazy and you're you've got this insane eq tilt and it's unlistenable but like the song i always use as an example is is fade into you by mazzy star Okay. I always feel like there's ice picks in my ears listening to the tambourine on that song. Uh, and War is another one. Oh, oh, good God, y'all. That tambourine is so in front. But you know what? It's a great song and a great recording. And so, or a great song and a great performance. So the recording doesn't matter as much because it, that, that's still speaking. We're, we're a pass-through entity as, in, as engineers. Sure. It's our job to capture, maybe to put a little bit of a, of a, of a tint on it. But we're not making that song, that performance better. We're just we're just shining it up. We're putting a yeah. coat of wax on it, and, and that might be an unpopular opinion, but that's my opinion on how engineers should work. And and maybe I'm completely wrong. And it's not the only opinion. It's not the only valid approach. But um, yeah, I think that I I don't know where the question started, but that that as a gear manufacturer, I'm saying that that doesn't help my company. I'm telling you to buy less gear. You know, not even buy less gear, but you know, pick and choose your gear. Don't be so gear lusty that you lose sight of the music, which is why we all do it. And I, this is my contribution to music, honestly. Like, I was an okay engineer. I was a thoroughly mediocre bassist. But 
I'm really good at this. And like, I can contribute to recorded music and to something that sparks human emotion and binds us together. You know, music is a cultural phenomenon in like every culture in the world. And this is my way of contributing to it, the way management is your way of contributing. It doesn't have to be being in front of the mic or pushing the faders to contribute to it. So that's how, that's why I do that. that that's my passion for doing this is I love music. It makes me feel something. It makes me, it, it, it inspires me. So sorry to get philosophical there. But well, yeah. That's like, yeah. that's why people are listening to podcasts is to hear people like you talk, you know, not just a bunch of marketing lingo. But wax like, prosaic about <laughs> microphones. Yeah. I don't want to say wax poetic because that would compliment my long-winded style. And I don't think that's correct. Um, but I, I definitely agree with, with a lot of those sentiments from like, my creative outlet is like photography, videography. Yeah. And there is, it's, it's very similar to the recording industry where people like the camera that we're filming this on right now, a lot of people would say it's a really horrible camera mm -hmm. and no one who is like works as a professional should be using that camera. My argument is if you know what you're doing and yeah. you try really hard, you can make yeah. it work. And right. Right. And, you know, like, there's just, there's such a gear, like, chase the new gear. And, yeah. And it's really easy to get sucked into that. It's, and, and, and it's not just this. I'm a fly fisherman, and okay. they're all oh, the new yeah. fly pattern, the new, the new rod, the new yeah. chest sling pack, you know, it's the same way. And you lose sight of the actual getting on the river and being one with nature. Yeah. like, if And then spending... sticking it in the mouth. <laughs> yeah. If you're spending more time on, on Reddit threads reading about gear than using gear. Yeah. Like, it's. I think it's time to check yourself. Also, I'll say if you're on Reddit threads, you're in the wrong place to talk about gear. <laughs> but, but yeah, 100%. Like, what you said speaks so much truth. Is that, like, I always say, uh, like, a, a knowledgeable handyman with a basic tiny toolbox full of a basic tool, a screwdriver, a wrench, a hammer, yeah. you know, can do so much more than me with the entire Snap-on Tools collection, right? Yeah. Because the skill, John Mayer can make, like, a, a Starcaster target guitar sound much better then I can make a Gibson Les Paul sound, you know? Because, you know, it's the skill. Your skill matters more than the tools. Now, the tools, that when we come to the tools, that's where I come in. When it's a better tool, it makes your job easier, and you're not fighting the tool. Yeah. And sometimes you might fight that camera occasionally, but if you know what you're doing, you can do a better job, and how you frame the shot, and uh, whichever moron you're talking to, um, makes a bigger difference than whether or not the ISO, is it ISO or ISO? I don't know. Okay. Yeah. Is is good enough on that camera or exactly, whatever? Yeah. You know, I great things have been made with shitty tools, to put it bluntly. Absolutely. Yeah. And and shitty things have been made with great tools. Yeah. So And I mean I think if you put a lot of today's engineers in a studio from the sixties. Oh, they'd be they, lost. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, that and, said, in the box is a valid creative approach. You know, it's just yeah. a different it's just a different path. It's just like the guy's Soya's. Great mics. Pavel, awesome dude. Yeah. Makes brilliant original stuff. And I really like that. I like originality. I like pushing the ball forward. I don't like looking backwards 70 years. 70-year-old yeah. gear is great, but I feel like we can do better. And so, like, I love Pavel for that same reason, because he's interested in pushing the ball forward. And uh, and I've completely lost my train of thought at this point, so I'll put a period here. <laughs> well, to just put it out there, it would make me very happy to see some sort of Soyuz Vanguard collaboration. Uh, you know, they would look very interesting. Yeah, they, they would. would certainly. I can't even imagine what. It would be the maybe most a Soyuz mic with a Vanguard red and chrome. That would be that would be fascinating. Yeah. That'd be 
Somebody could Photoshop that. Somebody with Photoshop skills, yeah. please go put that up as an April Fool's joke or something. I know we're a bit late, but that's kind of my style being a bit late, so I think we're fine. Um, yeah, so is there anything else that you want to talk about, whether it's about you, Vanguard specifically, any of the products that we didn't specifically touch on? And I don't, I don't think so. I think, I think, uh, I, I, I think we kind of touched on everything. It's the bottom line is we try and make good gear for, for, to make your job easier, and we try and make it sound like we want records to sound like. I, I hope that it makes your artists and the guys on your roster their job easier as well. And if that's the case, then I'm happy. Then I'm happy doing what I do. And if it's not, then I need to go back to the drawing board. That's okay. So I hope everybody checks it out. I hope that you're, you know, if you're interested and you have questions about the gear, please email Vanguard. It's on our website. It comes straight to me. Or you can email Derek, the this spelling, D-E-R-E-K, at VanguardAudioLabs.com, and I'll, I'll answer any questions. I'm happy to. I, I love nerding out about gear. Where so. can people... And people find the mics like are, are they in stores yeah yeah you can find it directly on our website it's shop.vanguardaudiolabs.com you can find it at vintage king you can you know if you have a favorite dealer please support that dealer we love supporting our dealers if you want to support us directly and you want to help me feed my foster dogs i'm okay with that too <laughs> um so yeah you can if you search vanguard v13 you're gonna find it we're distributed in 77 countries not including the united states so it's probably around um and we're happy to answer any questions you have and they got a five-year warranty because i want to I want to make sure they're around for a long time. Yeah. Well, awesome. Well, thank you so much. This Thanks, David. Awesome. Yeah. Davidius, I think, is what oh, we agreed yes, upon. Yes. Durekius? Fair enough. Not very Roman. But uh, yeah. yeah. All right. I don't think it overstates things to say that the Beatles were the greatest gift to entertainment and culture of our time, a secular religion, if you will, with their universal appeal and demonstrable impact on people's lives. I'm Robert Rodriguez, host of Something About the Beatles. With every episode, I speak with historians, musicians, artists, and Beatle witnesses, all in the service of fresh insights into the most joyous cultural entity the world has ever known. I hope you'll join me and listen to something about the Beatles, now on Evergreen, and wherever you get your podcasts.